I'm uh, pleased to announce our speaker for y'all today. We have Corey Barnes. He's the uh, serving as the youth minister at the First Baptist Church, Rungi. He was raised in Rungi. He was saved when he was 16 years old. He's uh, married to Tomika, who's with us today, and his son Donovan is with us, and he has a daughter named Kylie, but she's visiting Grandma. So uh, y'all, please welcome Corey Barnes. Good morning, everyone. It's glad to be here this morning. Y'all may be seated. <clears throat> I just want to say I really enjoyed those children singing this morning. It, it does bring great joy and pleasure to, to see that. Um, the Bible says to raise them up in the way that they should go. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. So that's beautiful. It took, took a lot of courage. So I just want to say I'm proud of y'all and thank y'all for singing this morning. <clears throat> um, as, as he has said, I'm from Rungi. My name is Corey Barnes, born and raised in Rungi. Uh, so when God called me to come back home, it, I, it's, uh, I felt it, or well, let me backtrack a little bit. I was saved at 16 at the Rungi First Baptist Church. Uh, and after graduating high school, I moved to Hattiesville. It's where I met my wife and we started a family. And my then youth pastors, Pastor Mark and Lisa, uh, they called me um, and asked me if I would go to summer camp with the kids. I usually, I kept in, track, in touch with them and uh, I usually go to camp with them and they said this would be our last camp, we're retiring from the ministry. And uh, so at camp they told me that they would like for me to apply for the position. And uh, during the camp, the pastor, Pastor John had come and, and visited with us and just everything just aligned so perfectly with what I believed and uh, what I wanted for my career. And so. Uh, I just felt it, uh, God's call and uh, home, and so I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, That's just a little summary of how I came back, and uh, without further ado, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12, I'll be reading from verse 1 through 6. Isaiah 12, chapter, or Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. <clears throat> and it reads like this. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We bow your heads in, in prayer. Lord, we, I thank you for this opportunity to be here. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I ask that you be in the midst of this service. Lord, as you open our hearts and our minds to hear your word, to understand your word, Lord God, but to receive your word as well. Lord God, I ask that you help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers as well. 
Lord, as you speak through me, give me a word for your people. Let your spirit flow and have your way in this sermon. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, Isaiah opens with the statement saying, in that day. And usually when you see something like this, you have to go back. You have to look further to see what day he's talking about. And so since it opens the chapter with in that day, you have to go back to the beginning of Isaiah. And so in the first five chapters, we find that uh, Isaiah is talking about, it's a picture of an anguished God dealing with uh, rebellious children. And on one side, there's no hope because sin must be dealt with. And then hope is introduced in the realization that there is a future for God's people. And so in, then in chapter 6 through 11, we find that they're anxiously anticipating that day when God uh, will come and glorify Zion. They're, they're waiting for the, uh, the glorification of Zion. And so when he says in that day, he's talking about the day that God constitutes a people for his own. In that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. The, the phrase give thanks literally means to, to cast praise. It means to render everything to Christ in praise. This is our chief end. It is our, our purpose on earth uh, when it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, with everything that you are. And throughout scriptures, we see that uh, we build all of our righteous deeds, we earn a crown. In, uh, in James, it talks about earning the crown of life for those who preserve under, under trials and the crown of righteousness, and then uh, the crown of glory for those who shepherd the flock. And then in Revelation chapter 4, we see that once we get to heaven, uh, we will bow down at the feet of Jesus, and we cast our crowns at his feet. Everything that we earn, everything that we are, is all for the honor and glory of God. That is our chief end, and that is our purpose as believers. It is all for his honor and glory. It says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you are angry with me, your anger is turned away. We, we see in, in Romans that, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says that we store up anger for ourselves. We store up wrath for ourselves. And in verse 18, it says that the wrath of God is fulfilled from heaven on all unrighteousness, on all of our sins and all of our mistakes. We're just storing up wrath. The more we sin, the more we mess up. But it says, though you are angry with me, you your anger was turned away. From Isaiah's standpoint, this points to two different things. It points back to the animal sacrifices uh, for uh, atoning for our sins, the, the guilt offering and the, the, the purification offerings. And then it points forward to Christ for his propitiation for our sins, the, the turning away of God's wrath. The scripture says that it pleased God to crush his son. It pleased the father to crush his son because his anger is, it was just stored up. And without God, without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that anger will be poured out on all of us. In ancient Roman times, when um, they stood before the judge, they would get a certificate of offenses. And so it would say murder, 20 years, uh, robbery, 10 years. And they would were, they were give them this certificate of debt, and it would be posted on their cell. And they would spend every day until their sentence was completed. And then they would sign off on it, said paid in full after they had spent that time in jail. Well, on Jesus, it said king of Jews. That means he took all of our sins, all of our punishment, all of our, all the, the wrath that we deserve, and it was nailed to Jesus' cross. And he bore the punishment that we deserve. And 
God's wrath was poured out on him for our sake so that we may be credited with his righteousness. He lived a life that we cannot so we can have the righteousness that we cannot earn. It was a gift from God that we cannot do on our own. So though you were angry with me, your anger was turned away that you may comfort me. This word comfort, it only comes when we're grieving, when we're suffering. You don't, you're not comforted when you're happy, but you're comforted when you're broken and you're, and you're hurting. And Matthew says that uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not just mourning over, over something that has happened, over a loss, over a lost job, or things like that. But it's being broken over our sins. It is mourning and grieving over our sins. It's that we hate the sin in our lives, and we long to get rid of it. And we're broken over it. We're crushed over it. Because we're, we know that we're in the presence of a holy God, and he is watching us, and he sees that, and we're broken over it. And it says, blessed are you, because then you'll be comforted. You, he will turn you to repentance. And the thing about repentance is, it's not just turning away from it, right? It's not a 90-degree turn. We could turn from sin and go a different way. That's good, but that's not repentance. Repentance is turn, doing a whole 180 turning from sin and leaving that behind and saying, I choose to serve God. I give that up. I stop serving my flesh, and I choose to follow and pursue Christ and his righteousness and his holiness. That is what repentance is. But without repentance, there is no comfort. Your anger is turned away that you may comfort me. And then in verse 2, he says, Behold, look, turn your attention to this. God is my salvation. I will trust in him, and I will not be afraid. Trust, this trust, this faith in Christ isn't just, um, just a will. It's, it's used too loosely nowadays, but it's bold confidence in Christ. This is without a shadow of a doubt. I know that God has me. I know that he holds my future. It is bold confidence in Christ, and I will not be afraid. Why? For the Lord God is my strength. This word strength, is, it pictures a fortress where God's power dwells. It's, it, is, it is protection. It is, uh, it is a picture of a bride. A bride looks for protection in her husband. She looks for her husband for provision. She looks for love. And she looks for guidance in, in her potential husband. Well, church, we are the bride of Christ. And so we look to Christ only for our provision. We look to Christ only for our protection. We look to Christ only for that guidance. Without that, we will all go astray. But our strength and our comfort and our trust is all in Christ for every need that we have, for everything that may occur, for everything that life may throw our way. We trust in Christ for he is our strength and he has become my salvation. If you look uh, with me to Isaiah chapter 26, I would like to show you how he describes salvation. Isaiah chapter 26, and I'll start with verse 1. He says, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls for security. He opens the gate that the righteous nation may enter through faith. You keep him in perfect peace, those whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He says he puts up walls, salvation as walls for security. As long as we stay within those parameters, he sets those guidelines. And as long as we stay within those parameters, we're safe. 
We are covered by Jesus Christ. And it's only when we step outside of that. It is only that when we decide that we want to do it our own way, that we lose that security and we lose that protection and we lose that fatherly love. It is a picture of, of an everlasting city. And he opens the gate that all those who are righteous and those who keep the faith may enter. It is entered through by faith alone, in Christ alone. He says he'll keep us in perfect peace. This is our eternal security in this covenant, in this covenant entered in by faith. It's eternal. It will never end. Verse 3, he says, with joy you will draw water from wells of salvation. Um, back in chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, with joy you will draw water from wells of salvation. I like the way the New American Standard Bible puts this because it says, therefore you will draw water joyously from the wells of salvation. The reason I like therefore is, is because it indicates that the scripture, the topic, is coming to a climax. Therefore, so everything else that he has said before is the ground on which we stand for this statement. It is the framework that he is building up to this statement. You, therefore, you will draw water joyously from the wells of salvation. The thing about drawing water from a well is usually it was outside the city gates. And so it was, it was sometimes dangerous because there would be robbers and, and murderers and, and bad people lurking and scheming around these wells, looking to get someone coming out and catch them when they're the most vulnerable. They're outside of those, the protection of the walls. And so it, it was sometimes dangerous. And then on top of that, it was hard work. They would go out and get a day's worth of water for cooking, for cleaning, for washing their clothes. So it was, it was, it was hard work. They would lower these pails all the way down into the well and then have to bring them back up, pull them back up, each one, and then carry them all the way back home. So it was a long journey and it was hard work. And he says, I will draw water joyously because no matter the dangers that lurk, no matter what the enemy's schemes are, no matter what's going on, I know that God has me. And no matter how hard it gets sometimes, no matter the things that come up in life, I know that I can draw water joyously because he has my future. He, I know where my help comes from. And so no matter what comes my way, I will draw water joyously. It is, it is joy that surpasses all understanding. It is something that is far beyond what the normal person could see. How is he joyful whenever all these things are going on? How can he maintain this peace when, when things are going sour, when he lost his job, when, when bad things just continue to occur? How can we maintain that peace and that joy in spite of all those things? It is because we're drawing from the wells of salvation that, that no man could truly understand. But what are these wells of salvation that he speaks of? Uh, Jesus himself spoke about these wells and this, this living water in two different occasions in John. The first time in chapter 4 when he talks about the Samaritan woman, um, but that's not the one I want to touch on. The one that I would like to look at is later on when he talks about it in John chapter 7, verse 38. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he has said this about the spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as of yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. It is when you believe in Christ, you're drawn from those wells of salvation. It is entered in by faith in Christ. And it says that out of our hearts, we're storing up that, that living water and, and we can't contain it. And so out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. It is just a picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And once that Spirit is living within us, it is, it is 
uh, since it's living, it bubbles up and it, and it wells up and we cannot contain that joy from, from salvation. So it flows from our hearts and it flows from our lives and it flows from our lips. And like I said, the reason I like verse 3 as the climax is because leading up to this shows how God opens our eyes in verse 1. And then 2, how we are drawn to Christ. And 3, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now verse 4 through 6 will show what happens after we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. He says, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. You see, again, he, he says in that day. But here he's talking about the day you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the day of salvation, and the day you are filled with the Holy Spirit. In that day, you will give thanks to the Lord. But see, he says that again from verse 1. The first time he says, I will give thanks. Now he says, you will give thanks. Now he's saying it to someone else. First it was dealing with me, and now he's telling someone else to give thanks to the Lord. He says, call on his name. So the first verse he's summing up, when he says, give thanks to the Lord, he's summing up verse 1 as a, as a picture of opening their eyes, God opening their eyes and being aware of God's, Christ's work on the cross, how he has turned his wrath from us, and he has comforted us and drawn us to repentance. And then when he says, call on the name of the Lord, we know that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's summing up verse 2. He says, God is my salvation, I will trust in him. This is us putting our trust and our faith in Christ, us coming to Christ and putting our faith in Christ. And he says, make known his deeds among the peoples. This is what he's doing now. First, he is saved, and this is exactly how he got saved. He opened his eyes and seen Christ's work, then he drew into Christ, and now he's telling others. This is what it's about. It is about preaching the gospel. This is why we are saved. We're saved not to just come to church and enjoy our salvation and to teach our children, but we're saved to tell other peoples about what Christ has done for us or what Christ has done for mankind and what Christ has done on the cross. This is why he has saved us, to preach the gospel, to make known his deeds on all the earth, to make disciples of all nations. It says, proclaim that his name is exalted. I had talked to with Izzy a little while back, and I told him I was struggling a little bit with, with pride and arrogance lately. And, and um, it's, it's not something that, that I'm proud of. It's not something that I want to. But it's like I, I want to build up my own kingdom. I want to build up my own name. But soon, people will forget my name. After a month, a month from now, most of y'all will not remember who I am. But it says to exalt the name of the Lord. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue proclaim proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Alpha and the Omega. His name to be exalted because he is the only one that matters. He is the only one worthy of honor and glory and praise for all of eternity. It is not about us. It is not about me. It is about his name. Verse 5, he says, Sing praise to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be, let this be made known in all the earth. To sing praise to the Lord, it comes from uh, a personal experience with him and reflecting on what he has done for us. And, and as I reflect myself about how God saved me and what he delivered me from and, and how he has turned my life around, I was once a wretched sinner. I was, I was 
the chief among sinners, as Paul says. I was the worst of the worst. And God took me from out of, my, out of the miry clay and picked me up and placed me where I am today. It is not because of something I've earned. I am no better than any one of you. I am not uh, uh, special or any better than anybody. But God chose to save me, and he chose to save each and every one of you. He has given you a testimony. And as you reflect back on what he has saved you from, it just it, it wells up from within us about how thankful we are when we realize that. So when we sing praise, it is, it is that, that thankfulness flowing from our heart for what he has done. It says, let this be made known on all the earth. I used to be ashamed of my testimony because I, I didn't know how people would look at me. I didn't want people to look at me differently. Like, really, that, that you've done that? Or I can't believe that. And I used to be so ashamed that I didn't want to tell anybody my past. But then I came to the realization that it's not about me. It is about what God has done in the life of his people. When you take the focus off of self and you put the focus on God and what he has done and how he saved me, that brings him glory. It is not about me, but it's about Christ and what he has done. It is for his glory. And how he could take a wretched sinner like me, and if he did it for me, he could do it for each and every one of you. He's no respecter of persons. That means no matter how rich or poor or black or white, it doesn't matter where you come from. He doesn't care about any of that. He could save anyone at any time. It says, shout, to, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. We have joy because we have the realization that this Holy Spirit dwells not only within us, but in this place. We cannot take that for granted. Um, this is a, a major deal. When I think back on before I was a believer and before uh, God was dealing with me, I was able to do pretty much anything I wanted to do. I was, I was a sinner and I had no, no conviction of my sins. But now Christ has convicted me of my sins and he keeps me. He keeps me from sinning. He, he controls that and he keeps me under submission. And so I give thanks to him because I know that he, as Philippians 1, 6 says, that he is faithful and able and just to finish the work that he began in you. So I praise him because I know that he will finish the work. Shout for joy. God's spirit dwells within each and every one of us. And as we reflect on God's goodness, for sending his son for the purpose of saving us in this room today. So what is this What is this? chapter saying to us, what do we take from what God has said today? What changed about our lives? So the first thing that he's communicating to us is preach the gospel. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for hope that is in you. What is your reason for hope? If someone asks me for my reason for the hope that is in me, it's because I know that God has control of all things. And I know that within his walls of salvation, he protects me, he provides for me, and he is in control of all things. And my hope even in death is because I know that I will be reunited with him. There's hope in life, and there's hope in death because he is my father, and I will see him again in death. Always be prepared to give a defense of those who ask for it. And so step number two, in order for someone to ask us about the hope that is in our life, we must, be, we must live a life worthy of someone to ask. No one's going to ask you about what's different about you if you're living like the world. So first, we cannot be lukewarm. We cannot be on the fence. 
We cannot love God and love the world. We must make a difference. And so in order to be that difference and make that difference, we must hate the sin in our lives. We will never turn from our sins if we don't hate it. And if we don't hate how it destroys us and it corrupts us and it destroys our families. Until you hate that sin in your life, you can never repent from it. But hate that sin in your life so, you may, so he may draw you to repentance. Ask God to, and seek God for strength and deliverance and wisdom to resist temptation. And step number three, if you want to be used by God to preach the gospel and bring hope and true joy to the world, and then if you want to be free from the bondage of sin in your life, then you must be renewed in your mind. You must, you must uh, draw from the world of salvation, which is in his word. We can't be, be lazy Christians, but it is all found in his word. I, I encourage you, go to Bible study. Get a deeper understanding of what God is communicating and what he expects from each and, one, each and every one of you. It is the only thing that conforms our lives and changes our minds and changes us from the inside out. We could go to therapy. We could do many different things for behavioral modification, but that only changes for a while. It is, it is like, so I'll tell you a little story. Um, I, had some, I have some youth in, in my church, uh, and they wanted to put a, a flower garden in my yard. And so they came over and made it nice and pretty. And uh, last, a couple weeks ago, I cut the grass and I seen some weeds growing up in my, in my flower garden. And I was kind of in a rush, I just kind of weed-eated them and, uh, so I could finish cutting my grass. But then the other day I walked out and I see these weeds growing back up. And that's essentially what it is. If we don't, if we don't get to the root cause of what's causing the sin, uh, then it'll just come back up. We could cut it, we could change it, we could stop drinking, go to AA, and, and, and it'll be fine for a while, but then if that, that sin is still in our heart, then it'll just come back up in a different way. It'll come back up in lust. It'll come back up in alcoholism. If we don't deal with the root cause, then it just changes how we sin instead of getting rid of that sin in our lives. The only living and active source that is able to change us is found in his word. Draw from the strength and joy right from the source of the wells of salvation. Now I'm gonna ask for the worship team to come forward and I will open up the altar, but if there are any of you who are on the fence about your walk with Christ, uh, if, you were, if you were wanting to get serious about your walk with Christ in this new year, if you're tired of doing the same old things or if you're in the cycle or the habit of habitual sin, and, and you want to break loose from that. I want, to be, I want to be free in this new year. I want to be different in this new year. You can make these New Year's resolutions, and you could decide to go to the gym. You could get on a diet. You could do all these things, but nothing is going to change unless you make a commitment to Christ, who is able to change it from the inside out. There's always a, a, something that causes those behaviors to come out, and unless we deal with that, it'll never change. The altar is open. Nothing will last unless God changes you. It will be like that weed, just coming back up. You may think, I'm, I'm going to clean myself up before I go to Christ. I have to, let me, let me get rid of this stuff. And let, me, let me stop doing this, and, and then I'll come to Christ. But no, you will never clean yourself up. You will never do it on your own. It is only Christ that can restore you, to heal you, and heal your brokenness, and put you back together. Come to Christ just as you are. And let him use you just as you are and heal you from the inside out. I invite you to come. If you want to experience a true difference in your life and bring it all 
I invite you to bring it all and lay it all at Christ's feet. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. There's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our feet path. Lord, I ask that you help us to take hold of your word, Lord God. Help us to not just be hearers, but doers as well. Give us the wisdom to apply your word in our lives. Help us to not be ashamed to preach your word. Lord, help us to not be ashamed to live this out in front of our, in front of our peers and, and disciple our children, Lord God. Lord, we ask that you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit and work in our hearts and work in our lives as we begin to go into this new year, Lord. Help us to make a true commitment to you, to serve you, to turn away from our sins and turn to you, to serve you. Lord, we ask that you do this for your honor and for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.